Uh, well, Happy New Year. Uh, it's wonderful to see you, uh, whether you're here in the building or those on live stream as well. Happy New Year uh, to you. And um, just before we talk about what I believe that God might want to say to us as a community at the beginning of 2023, I'll come on to that in a moment. I just want to take a moment to thank you and celebrate um, what God did in the last few weeks, the way that you poured your life into all these Christmas things. It's Sam and my, it's our, our first Christmas here at HTB, and we were totally blown away by it. Everywhere we turned, there was like another carol service. Um, full of people in this building and right across our sites. Uh, we took this venue in Camden called Coco and 11, 1,200 people came to that. Uh, then was it 8,000 bags of kindness that were packed and delivered and given to refugees, people in prisons, uh, the Ukrainians, the Afghani community, uh, those who are homeless, the people we've been working with through the year. Uh, then we opened up and hosted, or you opened up and hosted these spaces. And we had Christmas Day lunch for four, five hundred uh, on so square. Uh, we had the community cafe in Earl's Court and uh, Delgano Estate and all these different things. It was remarkable, the vision uh, that God has given each one of us and the part that you play. So thank you so, so much for that. I love uh, New Year. Uh, <laughs> in fact, New Year's Day, I ought to tell you, is about... It is probably my favourite day of the year. It's not everybody's, I know, but it is mine because I love fresh starts. I always have. Um, even when I was a child, I used to enjoy like new stationery or a, a new exercise book, and a, like now it's a new journal or a new pen, new clothes. And I just like the opportunity that you can kind of go again. And uh, I jump into the new year. Other people I know ease, sort of, it's like they need to kind of change through the gears a bit more slowly. Actually, there's no right or wrong. If you think about how people approach Jesus, uh, you've got on one hand the man who cries out to him loudly, and then you've got the woman who's been ill for 12 years who comes to him hidden in the crowd. And it's neither wrong or right. The thing is that they're both desperate for him, both hungry for him in their way, and Jesus responds to each of them. And what I think that God might be saying to us as a community, as a church, is about getting more hungry for him at the beginning of this year. I've been praying Psalm 63 verse 1 each morning of the new year. So I've only been a week. Uh, but Psalm 63 and verse 1 that says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I wonder if each of us were to decide today that we were going to position ourselves this new year for more of God, more of his grace and his love, sure, but also more of his holiness, more of his power to transform, to get hungry for him. I, I wonder what God would do through us in 2023. Not just for the sake of this wonderful church that we belong to, but for the sake of this great city that we're called to. And I want to talk for a few moments today about Light Up London. In 1 Kings chapter 18 in the Old Testament, we have a story of a man who has positioned himself 
for more of God. And because he has an increasing hunger, chiefly through prayer for God, God is able to do an extraordinary miracle through him in his city. His name is Elijah. Just before this story that we're going to read, the country that he lives in is in drought, hasn't rained for three years. And just before we meet him, he's gathered together the religious community and the king at the time, Ahab, and he with them has called down fire from on heaven and the fire has come. But now he's about to take it up a level. He's gonna pray for the rains to come on the city. And this is what it says. It says, Elijah said to Ahab, go and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rainstorm came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This story is so remarkable that it's remembered hundreds of years later in the New Testament when James says about this story, he says that Elijah was a human being just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Very important, this. James is saying here that the miracle that God did through Elijah, stopping rain and then bringing rain, was nothing to do with how extraordinary Elijah was. He had no unique ability or gifts or personality that you and I today cannot attend to. In fact, quite the opposite. He emphasizes that he was a human being just like you and me. That what he did, therefore, is available to us all. He prayed earnestly. Earnest. It's that same word that I've been praying so far this new year from Psalm 63 and verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My whole body longs for you in a dry and weary land. So maybe the question for us as a community at the beginning of a new year is how do we get more earnest? How do we up our level of hunger and thirst that the rains might come through us? And I have three thoughts for you. The first is this, don't ruin your appetite. Yeah, one of the joys for Sam and me over the last Christmas period has been that we've had our children who don't live with us, all of them, back home with us. We've got four children and we have one who's with us all the time, but the others are in different places. But they came back over Christmas and it was wonderful to have them. And uh, last weekend, 
It was even more wonderful because as we were going to bed on New Year's Day on Sunday, they said, a couple of them said, look, tomorrow we'll make pancakes for breakfast. And so when I got up on Monday, it was, uh, I is, I get up a little bit more early before my children do. Um, some of you are thinking, wow, I can't wait for the day that I get up before my children. But ours are teenagers plus. So, uh, I get, I, so I'd already got up and I'd been out, exercised, done a few things, and I was kind of hungry. And uh, they were still in bed. And uh, I was beginning to think, did they say breakfast or did they say brunch? Did they say lunch or did they say they tea when these pancakes were going to be made? And they finally like, they got up and then they realised they hadn't got flour. So they had to go to the local shop to buy flour. And eventually, they began to make the pancakes, but I couldn't resist it any longer. I was so hungry. So I kind of snuck into the kitchen while they were making these pancakes, and I had two pieces of toast with peanut butter. The thing was that when the pancakes came, which were gorgeous, I'd slightly already taken the edge off my hunger. And so they didn't taste quite so good to me, though they were wonderful. Now you and I, we do that with God. Yeah, every time we have a difficult day or have a setback, and instead of going to God with our hunger to get filled up and encouraged, we grab our phone and lose ourselves in social media or a box set. And so then when we've had our temporary fix and we go to God, it's like we don't need him quite as much as we kind of would have done. But we do, really, deep down. It happens every new year, I find, when I think that the answer to my hunger for satisfaction and fulfillment and advance is found in new routines of exercise, of reading plans, of resolutions. And so I put these things in place in the new year, and then I begin to wonder what's all the fuss with God about? Because I've found my substitute gods, and I don't now need him to be my God quite so much. The amazing thing is, if you want to develop your appetite for God, don't put any substitutions there. And the thing is, it's wonderful. You can get there. You you can do it because God wants this for you more than you do. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Now, you don't know me terribly well, but if you were to overhear me at the end of the service talking to someone about my Sam or my Jeannie or my Charlie, you'd figure that's probably Archie's wife or his daughter or his son that he's talking about. Because you don't use that word my unless you have a really close relationship with someone. That's your starting point. Through the cross and the resurrection and his spirit in you, God calls you my. I mean, there's nothing on his side that's holding you back from developing your hunger for him. I mean, there may be something on your side your iPhone or TikTok or your endless schedule, over-busy schedule. But he's ready and waiting. In fact, God has been calling, talking about my Archie way beyond I get round to calling him my God. 
Now, even as I begin to speak, do you sense a longing in your spirit beginning to awaken? A hunger in you? Because these words that I'm saying are, are touching your spirit that God has put in you. And they're watering it and they're bringing life to it. And you're going, ah, oh, that's what I want. Now feed your spirit. The New Testament says, sow to the spirit. See, funny thing is in the natural, we get hungry by not eating. In the spiritual, you get hungry by eating. If you want to develop more of an appetite for God, don't wait till you feel hungry. Just start feeding. Living in his word, worshiping, praying. And I believe that this is something not only for us individually, but for us as a whole community, that God is wanting to awaken this hunger in us. One of the routines that I put in is a weekly one, which is the community coming together, praying at 7.30 for half an hour every Tuesday morning. And we do this on purpose online so that everybody in the community can join us. I confess that when we first came to HTB, I thought that's not a good time. 7.30 on a Tuesday morning, because surely a whole lot of people are already at work by then, or on their way to work, or sorting out their children before they go off to school, or exercising, or walking the dog. And then I've realized that actually it's a most brilliant time, because we have people who join us from anywhere and everywhere, whatever they're up to, and they're able to come, because it's online, they're able to come with their screen off and muted, and join in with whatever they're doing. I know people who do it while they're at the gym. They join the half an hour kingdom come on a Tuesday morning at 7.30. I know people who uh, do it on their way to work. I know people who has a family, they have it on while they're having breakfast and trying to get their kids out the door. And they say, this is amazing because our children as a family, we can feel like we're part of the praying community, even though we wouldn't dare let you see us on screen. So I, I, I'd suggest that for you. Um, find the link on the website. Join us. It kicks off on Tuesday. Second thing is to persevere. As if you noticed in the story with Elijah that uh, when he starts praying for the rains to come, he tells his servant to go off and see whether he can see anything. And his servant comes back and says, there's nothing there. I mean, just blue sky. So he sends him again, and there's nothing, and again, and there's nothing. Six times, he sends his servant, and there's no sign of rain. Seventh time, he sends his servant. The servant comes back and says, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand arising over the sea. See, whenever Jesus talks about how we should pray, he nearly always talks about this characteristic that we need, which is perseverance, keeping going, basically, persisting. So uh, one of the parables that he says in Luke 18 is the parable of the persistent widow. And he says that this parable, this story that I'm telling you, he says, is that so that you will always pray and never give up. I think that one of the primary roles that I have as your pastor, as your vicar, is to encourage you to never give up, to keep going. I wonder whether, like me, you saw the census 
statistics that were released just before Christmas. And in particular, that statistic that said that for the first time in any of our lifetimes, the number of people in this country who call themselves Christian has for the first time fallen below half. It's 46%. And maybe like me, when you saw that stat, you thought, oh Lord, you know, we've been working so hard, and praying so hard, but it can feel like we're going backwards rather than forwards. But don't give up. I was thinking about those statistics, actually, because if it's, that must, must mean it's 50, so 46% call themselves Christians. That's 33 million people. Well, that gives us something to work with, doesn't it? I mean, what if we started with the 33 million people who believe something, only they're not in church, and we help them to see who Jesus really is? His beauty, his goodness, his forgiveness, his love, his transforming power. Well, then maybe the 33 million who believe something but are not currently in church will start coming to church, which would make the 54% of the population who don't believe anything a bit easier to reach. See, God loves to work from a place of disadvantage. Earlier in this story, it is wet, soaking wood that Elijah prays for the fire to come upon. And it's empty trenches. And then you think of Joseph who's in a prison, and Gideon, who just has 300 in his army, and Daniel in the lion's den, Jesus on the cross. Or in this nation in the 18th century, it was described as being a nation in a pit of spiritual darkness, and 120 years ago in Wales. But then Joseph went on to rule Egypt, and Gideon's 300 defeated all the Midianites. And Daniel was rescued from the lion's dead, and Jesus was raised from the dead. And the 18th century in this nation saw the great awakening. And 120 years ago, in November 1904, news reached London that in a small town in Wales, something was happening as though a cloud the size of a man's hand has arisen over Wales. And 100,000 people were converted, and a whole society was affected. God loves to work from a place of disadvantage. Don't give up, persevere. And then the third thing is to pray with the end in mind. What will be familiar to you is something like this, which is a, a kit. And it might be for you a kit of flat back furniture that you've got to make, or this like a children's toy, or any number of things. And what you'll always find is a box, and then inside it you'll find the things that you've got to put together. But also, ah, that's what I'm looking for, the instructions. And the idea is that you just follow step by step by step, oh, this is this wheel, and then it's this screw, and then you put that fixture with that. And, uh, but as I'm doing that, I don't know, I find every now and then I grab the box again just to look at this, because it inspires me to keep going. Ah, oh, 
This is what these things, step by step, is eventually going to turn into. And the promise of rain on our city, that's the box cover. And the step by step prayer, day by day by day, is the instructions. And you need both. You need the vision to inspire you, to pray with the end in mind, and the step by step to do it. And Elijah here is praying something that God has already promised. He has a huge confidence in this rain that's going to come on this city, Jezreel. He sends Ahab off. He says, you go ahead and celebrate. Eat and drink because the rain, it's coming. And when we pray to light up London, we are already praying something that God has promised. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But what I want us to notice as I finish, what I want you to notice is how Elijah prayed. Because it says that he went up to the top of Mount Carmel where he could get a view of this city, Jezreel, that God loves so much. So it's like you and I, we might go to the top of Hampstead Heath or the Shard or the London Eye and get a view over London, this city that God loves so much. And then it says that he prays like this. It says, he bends down with his head between his knees, like this. Why? Why is he praying like that? I mean, throughout the Bible, we meet all sorts of people in prayer. And they pray kneeling often or prostrate before God. The tax collector in Jesus' parable prays, beating his chest. Why the extraordinary detail of a most abnormal posture of praying that's given here? Because earlier in the chapter, when Elijah is in the midst of a religious community and he prays for fire from heaven to come, it says simply that Elijah stepped forward and prayed. But now, when he is contending for the rain to come on a whole city, he takes the posture of a woman in labor of childbirth. And it's slow, and it's agonizing, and it's painful, and costly, but the rain eventually comes. Tyler Staten, in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, that I highly recommend to you, says about this passage, he says this, God doesn't dream of the church on fire. God dreams of the city reborn. God's dream isn't that the church will improve its programs, grow in number, add another worship service, and host an influential conference. All of that is fine. It's just not what God dreams about. God dreams about pouring his spirit out on the whole city. Now, this is the prayer that is described in the New Testament by James as earnest, as effectual, as far-reaching, Sure, it starts with a church on fire. We must have that, HTB. 
But God wants the church on fire because he wants a city reborn. Because according to my news feed, according to the local radio that I listen to, or any cabbie or bus driver or police officer who works around here, according to them, less than a mile from where you're now sitting is a girl who is wondering whether tonight she'll be abused. And there's a 90-year-old sitting on their own, longing for the isolation and the loneliness to end. There's someone injecting themselves with drugs or alcohol or anything just to make the pain go away. And there's thousands who are greeting this new year in despair, not the hope that you and I share in Jesus Christ. And Jesus will light up London and he'll do it through your laboring prayer. And did you notice that when Elijah prays for the fire to come on a religious community, he just steps forward and prays once and the fire comes. But when he prays for a whole city to be reborn with the waters of God, he prays seven times. It is the unglamorous, undignifying, laboring, costly prayer that we are called to imitate, not the public spectacle of fire. But Jesus says, keep the box in mind. Keep the box cover in mind. In fact, he uses this same metaphor in John chapter 16. He says, he uses this metaphor of a woman in the pain of childbirth and how her anguish goes the moment that her baby is born into the world. Because the promise and the joy that is coming will always outweigh the struggle and the trouble and the perseverance that's needed. So let's light up London. Let's light up London with our prayers. Light up London towards the evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. Amen. 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 Amen.